Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 31st, 2020, and this is episode 2722. It's a Monday. I'm doing a listener round, or a topic roundtable today. There is some listener feedback in it, but it's really more stuff that I picked because of a lot of the things that are going on right now, a lot of things that are going on that are bad, good things that are going on here, just stuff that I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, what I've got on the docket for you today is, number one, I did a, a video yesterday, and I'm going to say right up front, if you go to watch it, it is a not safe for work uh, uh, video in, in that it uses the F word quite a bit. I won't be doing that today. Uh, in the segment I'm going to be doing on the same subject today, I'll be also doing a video for sharing a little bit shorter video Um But I need people to understand how dangerous the situation is getting right now. I need people to understand what I mean when I say many of y'all have not read The Art of War, which is today's item of the day uh, on Amazon, and uh, it shows. And I need to tell you some things to help put this all in perspective. Because when I've been speaking against the concept of running out into the city streets and, and confronting these Antifa and these BLM Marxist activists, I've been getting a lot of pushback that really comes down to nothing but catchphrases and very clearly responding in anger, and appeals to authority. And all of these are bad, bad, bad ideas. And there's also a lot of short-sightedness in my response to, or in response to my plea to get out of the cities. And I did this video yesterday on a Sunday morning. I've been doing survival podcasts since June the 20th, 2008, and I have maintained my YouTube channel for longer than that. I have never done a serious video on a Sunday morning in my life until yesterday, and there is a reason, and we are sitting on a powder keg, and I need you to understand it, so we'll talk about that today. I also got a question. I, I've been saying in these videos, in, in, in these warning segments, up your prep, stock up, and I've been getting questions, and the, the latest one that came in was, what are 20 things to buy now before the supply chains dry up? I'm not that guy, man. I'm not that guy that publishes a list and says, "Go, you know, these are your 40 things to hoard before the apocalypse or whatever." Uh, those are gimmicky, and they do not address the problem as it pertains to you, the individual. I'm going to tell you, and I've done this before, but I'm going to tell you today exactly how to make your own list of things to get that will do a couple things for you. One, if nothing goes wrong, it won't matter. You will be fine. You will not be like, "Damn it, I shouldn't have done all this." Okay. Um, number two. Uh, you you will have what you need if the supply train's right up. Now, isn't that better than me saying, here's the 20 things I think you should buy? And I'm going to tell you very simply how to do this right now, okay? Uh, next, on good notes, I don't want everything to be dark today. I have finished my retooling of the indoor vertical farm, which I think is a great project for people to be looking at different ways that they can do something like this. Being able to grow your own food indoors may be helpful with the supply chain issues, and it's much easier to defend something against, you know, four-legged rats, two-legged rats, insect pests, you name it, if it's inside your house or inside a garage or inside an outbuilding than on the outside. Um... Next up, yes, I really do think the left is throwing the election. I'm going to tell you about a new development that seems to be proving incorrect on this. I said this, got over a month ago, I put out a video explaining the whole thing. 
explaining the whole thing as to how the left was throwing this and why it's not it's not as good as you think because it's a setup for 2022-2024. They're playing the long game here. And they don't want to be holding the potato in the middle of a depression. They want the depression blamed on the right so that they can get the swing that they really need to the left. Because right now they can't really get the swing to the left that they actually want. They can, they can maybe take power, but they can't actually get what they want out of taking power. And then when the economy tanks <clears throat> and they have power, they won't be able to blame somebody else for it. They'll have to take the blame themselves. Next, COVID's doing exactly what I said it would do in Texas. And I have a link that's in today's notes for you where I called the top of the curve in Texas. I called it one day after it happened, maybe two days after it happened, and said, this is it, here's your double shoulders pattern, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's been going on since and why it looks the same everywhere and why you should stop worrying about this. Okay, And I'm going to also tell you something the CDC came out and admitted today. And it's not new, but it's sure being treated like it's new because most people didn't know it because most people don't listen to this show. And, and I'll tell you all about that when we get to that one. Uh, next, the homeschool tsunami is growing. It's continuing to grow. I'm getting, I'm getting contacted at this point daily. What's the name of that school that your grandson is going to that you're using for your homeschool curriculum? I'm done with this shit. I got one today from a guy. He's like, I, I'm done. Like just the initial thing of going back to school and looking at what it was going to involve. He's like, no, I, I'm not. I'm not doing this to my kids. I'm done. But that has me. After now having several weeks of experience using, and it's Excellus Academy, and I'll have a link in the show notes for you, Excellus Academy. I'll tell you a little bit more about it again today. Again, they're not a sponsor. I don't have a referral agreement with them. I don't know anybody there other than the customer service person that helped us out one time and the teachers that my, my grandson has uh, that I see on the computer. I, I, I'm just very impressed with them. But, I, but it's made me come to a question. Now, I already asked a question that was, If my grandson can complete his work in about two hours a day, an hour and a half to two and a half hours a day, which is very standard for him now, and, and the school used to have him for eight hours a day, what were you doing with him for the other five or six hours? Well, I have a different question. This is a sincere, honest question for teachers. And it's going to probably make some people you know, angry and get their panties in a wad or whatever, but it's a sincere question. And I don't think that people that are part of the establishment are going to like it. But it's going to be one of those questions that when you don't have an answer for it, it proves me right. And whatever answer you do have for it, if you have one, would also prove me right. And I got, I'm starting to get people asking me, if the left really throws the election in 2020, Trump stays in power, swings to Republicans, can we avoid what you're calling the Second Great Depression? Or at least a huge, protracted, deep recession. Like, the stock market looks good, like... Is there any way out of this? And the answer is I don't know, but I also don't feel good about it. So we'll finish up talking about just that. So that's what we're up to today. So I, uh, I want to start out the first segment today combining the first segment with the quote of the day. Like I said, yesterday I put out uh, a video, a, a very blunt um, with some profanity in it. There won't be any in this one. This will be a little easier one to show for those of you that are watching the video versus getting the audio podcast. Um, but some very blunt advice is to getting the hell out of the cities and staying out of this conflict. And some of the responses that I got to that in the comments on the YouTube video are absolutely asinine, but I understand where they come from. And I, I, what I think you have is people that are doing exactly what the enemy wants them to do. 
or at least they're talking about doing exactly what the enemy wants them to do. And so they're running into a conflict with the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong place, in a place of the enemy's choosing. This is a huge mistake. So what I wanted to start out with is a quote uh, from Sun Tzu, which is, Thus, what is of supreme importance in a war is to attack the enemy's strategy. Not to attack the enemy. To attack the enemy's strategy. Now, I think what's going on in the, the situation we're in right now is the people that you see out in the streets, and I'm not defending them, I'm not saying anything about them that would be considered redeemable. So please understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm just examining the situation from a standpoint of clearly there's an enemy here. And we need to identify both the enemy and the enemy's strategy. That's of, of, of supreme importance in all this, that we identify both of those correctly. Because my item of the day today, uh, which we'll, we'll cover more in depth at the end of the show, is The Art of War by Sun Tzu, okay? the book itself. And so I have on the post for that another quote by Sun Tzu, and that is, Victorious warriors win first and then go to war while defeated warriors go to war, war, war first and then seek to win. So these are two really important things to think about when it comes to getting into any kind of conflict in the current situation that we find ourselves in with riots in our streets. And what I believe, and I think there's good evidence for this, is that when you guys say things like, well, these rioters are being bust in. They're being bust in. They're coming in armed. They're coming in with an agenda, they're coming in to incite riots. I, I completely agree. So these people aren't wealthy. These people don't have lots of resources. Translation, someone's paying the bills. Okay, so translation to that means that the, that the person who's paying the bills is the true enemy. So then if we do not identify the enemy first... And then we go into conflict against the wrong enemy or the wrong part of the enemy. If we attack the wrong enemy and we do not attack the enemy's strategy, we're setting ourselves up to fail. See, when I was a young man, I was in the United States Army, I was deployed to a place called Honduras, and I had a really great first sergeant. He was an E-7, but he was our first sergeant, our top. Uh, those in the military know what, you know, kind of that, that affectionate term for your first sergeant, top. And uh, he kind of took me and several other young soldiers under his wings. And I think we, he all he knew that the, this particular group of soldiers that he had doing this were all soldiers who, who did not have really great family lives growing up. There's a lot of soldiers that you can say that about. Some have fantastic families. and so, It seems like that's, that's the thing with the military. You either come from a fantastic family or a broken one. So he had this, this group of about four of us from this broken family, and he would give us a book to read, and he'd say, y'all can either read this book, and we can talk about it, or I can give you extra duty. It worked on the other three guys kind of needed that. Me, deployed to Honduras, I had nothing to do except work and wait to be done with it. And it was, not, it was almost like me in a little minimum security prison. So I was happy to read that book, and I learned a lot from my discussions with him. But... What he told us was that we, if we looked around in Honduras at the place that we were in, 
that people think that that can't happen in the United States. But the truth was, and this is all the way back in 1992, okay, so this is a while ago. There were already places like that in the United States. There were already places that were that broken down in the United States. And that we were refusing to even look at it, to acknowledge it. It was like a person with this guy, would have, our, our top came from a medical background. He was a medical NCO. And uh, he said that it was like cancer. And if you didn't treat cancer, eventually it spread through the entire person and it killed them. And that if we continued to ignore this cancer that was in our own country, that this squalor that was around us in, in, in Honduras would one day befall our own nation and it would get really bloody. And when that happened, we would have to pick a side. And when it did, we would want to make sure not only did we pick a side, but we, we followed the words of the art of war and we chose the time and place and the way in which we picked that side. And what I've gotten in response to this type of warning is, well, you know, we're Christian patriots and, and we need to stand up against evil. See, you're, you're, that, that's an appeal to authority. You don't know exactly what God wants you to do. All you can do is take all the information you have and then weigh that against what God wants. There's no place in the Bible or, 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 or any religious text that says, in 2020, when BLM riots in, in Seattle, this is what you are to do. And you'll say, we're supposed to confront evil. But how, where, why, and in which way? See, God gives us an innate intelligence and expects us to use it not to appeal to authority and then use a catchphrase to justify an action or a suggested action. So there's a lot of things that I want you to think about with my call to get out of the cities. First and foremost is it's not just about being in a conflict. It's not just about getting physically hurt. It's not just about potentially having your life taken or having the life of a family member taken. It's also about protecting your investments. So no one, no one starts standing on moral ground when I'm like, hey, you know, right now would probably be a good time to get out of some of your stocks. Or, to, you know, like back years ago when, when the gas stations put up signs that said we buy silver, I was like, if you're holding silver in like an ETF or something like that, if it's not long-term in a box somewhere, sell it now and don't buy any. Because when you see that, you know that the bottom's about to fall out of the market. How does that pertain to this? Well, because if you're in these cities, this shit's not going to get any better anytime soon. And even if the riots go away tomorrow... The exodus out of the cities is happening. The cities have been destroyed. We have cities with, with homeless people shitting in the streets, and that's okay. People shooting up. It's going to be whatever you can get for your property now, you're going to be able to get less for it next year and the year after. These things are in a terminal decline. Unless you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna wait it out for 8 to 10 years, you're going to watch the value of your property, and if you have a business, your business going to decline. So part of it is about preservation of your assets and moving your business, your assets, your money, your holdings somewhere else while you can. Because when you have people driving from L.A. to Nevada to get a U-Haul and going back to L.A. to pick their shit up and leave, that's a big-ass warning sign. So part of it is about protecting your, your money. And then the other part is understanding, again, that real enemy's not in the streets. The real enemy's not in the streets. You can't go fight the enemy in the street because the enemy's not in the street. The enemy's little pawn bitches are in the street. And the enemy put them there. And the enemy is smart. 
The enemy knows it will evoke an emotional response from you. The enemy knows the more the cities burn, the more windows are broken, the more people are hurt, the more that good people who just wish to be left alone will be enraged. And they know that sooner or later those good people will come to the fight. Which means they want you to come to the fight. If you do this, you are doing what your enemy wants you to do. And that was the other side of choosing the time and the place of the battle and only engaging in the battle when victory is known to be a sure thing. When you recognize to do it, then you understand when it's being done to you. And when you're doing that to the enemy, what are you doing? You're setting a trap. This is a trap. You don't walk into the enemy's trap. You draw the enemy into your own trap. So stay out of these conflicts. Do not kit up and go into these cities. Don't do this. There actually may come a time when it makes sense to go at them. It's not now. This is their time, their choosing, their location, their place, their trap. If you insert yourself into it, you've gone into their trap. I've had law enforcement officers, since I did that video yesterday, say, I am ashamed to say this as a police officer in Portland, Seattle, etc. But Jack is right. If you go there and do what he's telling you not to do, while we're standing down for the rioters, we will arrest you. Because we have to, because that's what our orders are. It's a trap. You don't go to the enemy's trap, especially when the enemy's not even there. The enemy's lackeys, the enemy's bitches are there. And when you go where the enemy wants you to go, they're moving you, and that makes you the pawn. They want you to go there. You do what the enemy doesn't want, and you draw the enemy to what you want. That's the fundamental of the art of war. The next thing, this is a plea to all of you that keep objecting. But we're, we gotta stay, we can't move, whatever. Okay, fine. If you can't move, then you gotta be smart about how you stay. I'll like, I mean, I understand some of you just can't. But I think some of you don't want to. Those are different things. And if you want to watch the value of your property go to shit, if you want, you want your bit, watch your business be destroyed because you don't move it while you can, while you have an opportunity to. And I know it's a trap. It's a trap. So they did it during the freaking pandemic to make it harder for you to make that choice. That's why when you set up the kill zone, the L-shaped ambush, if you can, when the enemy walks into it, you want them to have to go uphill to get out of it. And the only thing you can do in that situation is charge the enemy. And it usually means you're going to die. But it's the only thing you can do. So you stay, you don't want to get in the kill box. You set up the kill box. So with that in mind, I want you to try to logically walk through what some of you are suggesting and come out with it being a good decision. Take whatever scenario you want and say, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to ask other people to do. And this is what we should all do. We should all be Kyle, Kyle's, right? We should all put all our gear on and go in and confront the enemy. We should all do a big countermarch. We should all do guard the buildings, whatever. Then think about what happens next. Think about the next step, and the next step, and the next step. This is freaking chess. It's not checkers. It's not, uh, I moved. 
uh, they moved. Uh, you need to think, I move, they move, I move, they move. All of the confrontation scenarios, if you run them through your mind logically, they all end up in a situation where the enemy gets what the enemy wants, which means you lost. You lost. When you fight an enemy where they want you to fight them, the way they want you to fight them, at the time that they want you to fight them, you lose because they're practicing the art of war and you're not. So I, I, I'm open to it, though. I'd love to hear any of you that say that we need to stand and fight and confront and all this. Okay, fine. Then you give me the scenario. Explain to me what you want and what it looks like and what they do in response to what you do and how that plays out and bring it to a place where it makes sense to do it. And if you can't do that, then you need to start asking yourself why you're doing it. I know why you're doing it. Because you're being manipulated. Because the people that are actually doing this that are thousands of miles away, bankrolling it, want you to do it. Because they know that if they can get you to engage and escalate the conflict, they can get what they want and they know you're going to lose. It doesn't matter how many of them you kill. You're going to lose the objective. Because you're attacking what you perceive as the enemy versus the enemy's strategy. The strategy of the enemy is to destroy the city. Then you get out of the city before the city is destroyed and you build cities where they are not destroying cities. You build community where they are not destroying community. They are going to lay waste to it. It's like trying to defend against them dropping a hydrogen bomb on the city and you're going to stand there with your AR because it's the right thing and, and you're a Christian patriot or whatever. All you're going to get is a mushroom cloud. It's a scorched earth policy. And if you stay in a scorched earth city during a scorched earth policy, you become charcoal. Get out of the way. Choose the confrontation that makes sense and attack the enemy's strategy. Or don't. But I promise you, none of you are going to be able to walk through that scenario for me and have it work out. None of you. I, again, I'm, I'm open to it. Catchphrases, appeals to authority, are how you end up dead, broke, or both. You know, I'm hearing people say, send, say some of the same catchphrases about this that were used to sell us into a war overseas. And didn't I tell you last week the dogs of war are doing what the dogs of war do and have been doing for a century overseas, and now they're doing it right here in our backyard? So why wouldn't it be that... Don't you think those same dogs of war, don't you think the people actually bankrolling this? Don't you think the people that actually can capitalize on this, don't you think they maybe are seeding those catchphrases, incentivizing those catchphrases, giving you those ideas and making you think that they're your own? Every time we've run into a, a conflict on a catchphrase, we fought the enemy on a place of their choosing, and it cost us dearly in blood and treasure. And we got nothing to show for it. You can talk about how Trump wiped out the caliphate or whatever. We have nothing to show for this. The United States is in not one shred better a position today than we were 20 years ago when all this shitstorm started. We're not better off for Afghanistan. We're not better off for Iraq. And we were led into that shit with a catchphrase. Don't lead yourself into your own conflict on your own country in your own country with a catchphrase. God's not going to fix your business. God gave you a brain. 
And based on whatever religion you follow, God gave you some advice. But you're supposed to make intelligent decisions and stay morally upright as you do. Not sit in the middle of something that's on fire. Some of you sound like a person who Noah would have said, hey man, get on the ark. And you said, you know what? I'm a Christian patriot. I know there weren't Christians yet, right? Right? I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot and a believer. God will fix this for me as the ark floats away and you drowned. You have to use your brains in this, folks. And I'll end with a different quote by another Asian philosopher. This one, Confucius. Before you embark on a, on a journey of revenge, dig two graves. What's motivating people is anger. And when anger motivates you, in the words of Star Wars, right, it's the dark side. It's absolutely the dark side. And once you're led by that darkness, the only place for you to go is into darkness. And once you're drawn into that conflict that way, no matter how many of them you strike down, you will lose. And that is the enemy setting the trap. Motivating you with anger. Because when one responds in anger, one is not thinking clearly. So, again guys, I'm talking about protecting the money that you have invested in your business or your property. I'm talking about protecting your family. And I'm talking about being able to build a future that you want. If you're in a flashpoint city, I don't care what you do. You're not going to walk me through a scenario that involves not having the value of your property go to complete garbage. Not ending up in a position where you'll wish you would have left. And I'm open to being wrong about this. And I could be. The reason I'm saying get out is because the preponderance of evidence is so to the extreme of that being the right decision right now. that it only makes sense to do so. It's up to you what to do in the end. But remember, you have to attack the enemy's strategy, not the enemy. And to do that, you have to do two things. You have to identify the strategy, and you have to properly identify the enemy. And the people that think that going into these conflicts and amping up the conflict make sense, are not attacking the proper enemy, and they certainly do not understand the strategy that they're being led into. Okay, so next up today, I've been getting a lot of questions with some of these things I've been forecasting and talking about, and, and I've been saying, up your preps, right? Up your preps, up your preps, up your preps. Like, there's going to be supply chain issues, you've got all of these things going on in these major cities, and as these major cities have conflict, and these major cities have turmoil, understand how many things that you buy and you use, whether you order it online, or whether you buy it at a local store, one way or another has to get to you. And a lot of these major cities are hubs of transportation for not just people, but materials. So it is reasonable to expect then, between COVID, the melee that will go around with the election, a potential coming recession, if not depression, plus the riots, that there'll be supply chain disruptions. And I've been talking about that a lot lately. So people have been saying to me, what are the 20 things that I should buy? If I only had $200 to invest, what would you suggest? That, like, There's a hundred variations of that question. 
And what they're all saying is, I want you, Jack Spirico, to tell me, Tom Jones or Bill Smith or whatever, what I need for my life. And the only thing I can say to that is, I don't know. I mean, there are certain things that we can all look at and say, yeah, you know, um, food, you know, making sure we have water, some way to have backup power and energy like gasoline and a generator, all the things we talk about with prepping all the time. But I assume that most of you guys that follow me, unless you're brand new to this, if you've been following me, that you, you know what that basic plan is. And what you're really saying is, okay, I've got basic preparations in place. But I, I'm hearing you say, amp up, step up your preps. You're going to have supply chain issues. So what are the things that I'm going to need to buy? What are the things that are going to dry up? Well, let me explain something. If something dries up and you don't use it, you don't care. It doesn't affect you, unless you think you're going to be able to barter it to you. Like, you know your neighbor uses it, and you want to uh, to have a barter thing or something. Maybe you do that. But in general, if you don't use something, then not having it doesn't matter to you. See how that works? So what you need to know is, well, what do you use? And I think it's funny that a lot of people that are preppers, they don't they have a whole shitload of stuff stored that they don't ever use. They stuff in a closet or down in a basement or up in a bug-out location or in a trailer or in a storage facility. And, and I don't, what I don't mean is I don't mean they don't use it as in they're not rotating it, which is its own problem. What I mean is they don't even use the thing that's stored on a regular basis any other way. And there's some stuff that makes sense to store that way for, for long-term outages and stuff like that. But when you're asking me this, I'm thinking what you're asking is, How do I keep my life as normal as possible when the shit hits the fan? Right? And maybe it's not, you know, the Rawlsian shit hits the fan, end of the world as we know it, you know, end to end like friggin' Red Dawn type warfare, because that shit ain't what you need to really be planning for. That's a whole different ball of wax. And most of what you do, you're going to have to like just improvise, adapt, and overcome if we ever end up in something that dark. And I think that what you'll have is pockets of that shit, which is why I've been saying get out of where those pockets are likely to be so that we can actually mount a true resistance from somewhere else. And during that, what do I need to have? You know, when I talk about food storage, my first step is always have a food journal. Just get a cheap notebook or even just a piece of printer paper, something like that. Put it on your countertop. Every time you eat anything out of your refrigerator or your pantry, or the kids eat it, or the wife eats it, or the dog eats it, write it down on that piece of paper. If you've already written it down on that piece of paper and you're doing it again, put a star next to it. See how that works? Put a star next to it. And if you use it again, put a star next to it. You use it again, put another star next to it. You use it again, put another. Do this for about two weeks to a month. You're going to end up with a list that's not as long as you expect it to be. And some stuff's going to have a whole shitload of stars next to it. That's the stuff you use the most. Get yourself a highlighter or a colored pen or something to underline or highlight, and then go through there, and everything that stores easily on that list, mark it. Okay, all you got to do for this list of 20 things, right, is first ensure that the things that you probably don't use every day, like bullets and Band-Aids, are taken care of. Once they're taken care of to a base level, that list becomes your list of acquisition. 
And that way, Bill's list serves Bill and Bill's family, and Jack's list serves Jack and Jack's family, and Samantha's list serves Samantha and Samantha's family. See how it works. You actually then build up a store of the things that you use in your family on a regular basis if times get tougher, even if they don't. There's a couple things that are going on here that are really important and should be obvious, but apparently aren't. Number one, if supply chains get cut off, you have the things that you need and that you like and that you're accustomed to having. If you have a month or two worth of that, you'll be able to figure out how to get more or how to adapt and use other things. Okay? If the shit doesn't hit the fan, or if the shit hits the fan but the supply chains aren't disrupted, then the things that you have are things that you use, so you just use them and rotate through, and you maintain your storage. You have to start thinking like a grocery store. When I was a kid, one of my first jobs was my second job. My first job, I worked in a turkey farm. That sucked. Grocery stores, it sucked too, but it didn't suck anywhere near as bad as a turkey farm. Cleaning the kill for and scrubbing troughs of bloody turkey heads. That sucked for real. Um, but my grocery store work, one of the things we used to do was front merchandise. So people would come take cans and stuff off the shelf, and then there'd be, you know, you have to reach back to get the next one. Well, we would go through there, and we would pull all those things to the front. And if we had, like, new stock for old items, we would actually take them off the shelf, stock from the back, and then replace the older stuff so the newer stuff got used first. And the goal was to try to keep those shelves always stocked deep so we never ran out of anything and have no pissed off customers. Your family and you are your customers of your pantry. And whether it's food or other supplies, that's how you should be thinking. What are the things that you use, use up, and need to replace? What do you use the most out of that? Make that list, work that list, and then figure out, well, how much of widget A or, or you know food B do I need to go a month? And then build that depth. And then if you want to go deeper, say two months. And two months is about what I try to do on most things. Some other stuff we have really long-term storage capabilities for. That's end of the world as we know it shit. right? That's fallback resources. But for this type of thinking, try to do about two months. Once I got two months of this thing, whatever it is, I don't need any more. Until I use one, then I replace one. And I use two, I replace two. Whether it's food or other resources, doesn't matter. And I, I try to do this with all the things that end up on that list. And then I end up where if things don't go wrong, I don't be, I'm not sitting there going, oh shit, what do I do this for? You know, 2022 comes around. I've got all this shit in my garage. I ain't used none of it. And, and Jack was wrong and the economy didn't crash and Trump won re-election and everything got better and they restored order in the cities and, and whatever, you know? Well, you have to plan for failure and success if your plan is valid. And a lot of people only plan for failure in the prepping world. And when you only plan for failure, you tend to fail. That's just how it seems to work out. So that's the best answer I can give you on that. All right, next up, some really good, some really good thing. And it, it's something I think that more of y'all should think about doing is growing some more of your own food indoors. Um, that may become more and more important. In, in, in the coming days. It, it's amazing to me, too, that when we have a disaster strike, we should look and learn from that disaster, or the lesson that the disaster tried to teach us was not learned. And 
when I look at COVID and the things that dried up really, really fast, even faster than me was produce. There was never a time that I went to the grocery store that I couldn't get meat. There were times I couldn't get the meat that I wanted. I remember going to Costco, and we, we, we really liked their organic chicken because it's affordable, and you can get a bunch of it cheap, and it, it's pretty good quality. And, and usually the, the cut of chicken that I really like the best for versatility is the chicken thighs. So I go to Costco and get my chicken thighs, my organic chicken thighs, you know. And, and I went in there, none, no chicken thighs, no legs. There was some breast and some wings. But I could have got chicken. You see what I'm saying? I could have got chicken. Whereas um, when it came to produce, I remember walking into an Albertsons a couple of weeks into this, and there was almost no fresh produce. You know, I'm talking lettuce, spinach, and stuff like that. And like, so, nah, nobody ever ate it, and but people went crazy buying it. And I don't know if there were supplies. So I think that's one of the things that we can look at and say, hey, if it's dry, dried up last time, it might dry up again. And You know, you can get a lot of lettuce and arugula and spinach and chard and stuff like that, seeds for not much money. And with a good hydro system, you can easily grow everything that you need week after week after week after week over and over again. And, I mean, yeah, you're not going to be saving seed in that environment. You're growing kind of young crops, fast-turn crops, etc. Um, but, you know, you can buy enough seed to last five years for under 100 bucks. Uh, with a good variety on top of it. And that, that could be invaluable. So on that note, you might want to check out the video I put out today. I've completely redone the indoor vertical farm. I'm calling it version 3.0. It's kind of my third big change to it. And it's awesome. And I'm not going to say much about it because the video covers everything. But my big problem was having a big enough reservoir and keeping it self-contained. I solved the problem by using two 27-gallon commander totes and an aquarium siphon between them instead of putting holes and punctures and weakening them, and when they expand and contract, causing failure points. It's a real, and the video shows you how to do it. It's a real simple thing. It's a, uh, it just uses PVC pipe, two 90s, and it basically you make like a box shape with an open bottom. You fill it up, flip it over. You, when you watch the video, you'll see how to do it. So I'm able to return to one and pump out of the other and then keep the, the, the level level. Then the other thing I did is I filled the trays, the two bottom trays, the ones that are now ebb and flow uh, trays that are for growing food out. I filled them with Lika, which is the expanded clay pebbles. So that displaced a lot. And then I only needed to go with about three-quarters of an inch of ebb and flow up and down to actually get about an inch and a half. You can watch the video. It'll make sense. And that means I'm taking very little out of the reservoir. So the new vertical farm is awesome. And, and I really, like I said, this is a very visual thing, so I really recommend that you take a look at the video that I put out today on. It's about 20 minutes long, and if, if you're not sure how it all works, I guarantee if you go back and look at the other videos in the series, then what I put out today is, is plenty. It'll make a lot of sense. But um, I, I'm, I'm really pleased with the way this came out. It's given it a lot more flexibility and a lot less reliance on... Uh, expendable components and on top of that if I ever decide to try to go to the point where I'm going to make it something that can run without inputs run without um, fertilizer if you get me right being able to have to because right now I'm just going to buy and use the hydroponic fertilizer it works but if I ever want to get to a point where it's kind of like aquaponics without fish 
So it's all organic, and it's, a, it, it's an infinite loop that would rely on worms. And the way I've got it set up now, I'm going to start slowly integrating worms. And I, Oh, you're going to kill your worms. Nope, worms live in hydro systems. I got them in my hydro systems already. I already know that, so we're going to play with this a bit and see what we can do with it. Anyway, check it out on the video today. Next up, I've, I've gotten quite a few emails recently that have been to the tone of, Jack, I know you said that Uh, the the left is throwing the election, but with all the lies on TV, with the media going all in, like, do you really believe that? Do you really think the left is like they're not saying? Even some said like, I, I think you're right. I think Trump might win, but but is the left really throwing the election intentionally? Man, I'm back to Sun Tzu, right? You got to understand who the enemy is and what the enemy's strategy is. The strategy of the left is not winning the next election. The strategy of the left, right, what the left is good at is backing up. This is something the left is actually better at than the right. Backing up and saying, where do we want to go? What do we want to accomplish? And what they want to accomplish is they want complete control from the urban center taking over the suburbs because the suburbs are the store of wealth. They want complete control of the suburbs from the urban center. Okay, the next thing that they that, that they that they want is they want universal health care. Once they have universal health care, the government is the source of your health care. They literally have everything under government control because the food system's under government control already. The medical system is fully controlled by the government. The only thing left is the payment side. Once they have that, if they have food and they have medicine. And then think of any other major walk of life, any any other major thing in your life, housing, government has complete control over. But where they lack control, they want to gain control. Again, from the urban center controlling the suburbs. They want to um, build this radius around these urban centers saying that you cannot have single-family housing. They want to make that, that orbit where single-family housing. I don't think they want to necessarily bulldoze the existing houses. But any new construction is going to be multi-tenant construction. They want to do that. That's something that Obama worked real hard to get in play. To do this, what do you have to do? You have to get people desperate, and you have to completely rebuild your urban centers in a new image. So if you want to rebuild something, what's the when you, when you look at a building, and you say, I want to completely transform what this building does and what it's all about, right? And I mean a, a complete radical transformation, The easy answer is not to remodel the building. What's the easy answer? The easy answer is knock the building down and build what you want. So if you can get what you want and get all the buildings knocked down and burned out at the same time by somebody else and advance your agenda with riots, why wouldn't you do that? Now, how does that fold into throwing the election? To get what they really want, they need people to be desperate. And they need people to be desperate and not blame them for it. They need to not be holding the ball, right? They need to not be not be the one in the chair when the music stops. They actually want to be out for a while. They want to be out of this game of musical chairs so that they can have the chair the next time around. They want to get out of the way so that when everything crashes and burns, and I think that's what they're betting on, and I think it's a pretty good bet, sadly, um, that, that they're not the one that gets the blame. So if they throw it, 
And they even lose the House. Maintain or even increase the, the margin in the Senate. And that all could happen. This is all starting to blow up. But I give you this story that's out today on the, from the Washington Times. It's pretty telling how much the momentum is shifting to pro-Trump. In spite of polls that say the other way, the polls have been wrong. On Polls tend to be fairly accurate unless they involve Donald Trump. Then they seem to just not even be in touch with reality. I'm not sure exactly why. I don't have a conspiracy theory for it or anything. I do think there might be something to people not being comfortable saying it on the phone, but being comfortable pushing a button in a booth. I'm, I'm not sure. But what prompted this response to people asking me this today is this story out of the Washington Times today. Six Minnesota Democratic mayors endorse Trump. Slam Biden is out of touch. I'll read a little bit of it to you. Six Democratic mayors from Minnesota's Iron Range endorsed President Trump's re-election Friday, signing an open letter that praised the president as a champion for working-class people and slammed Democratic nominee Joseph Biden is out of touch. Quote, today we don't recognize the Democratic, payer, Democratic Party, the mayors wrote. It has been moved so far to the left it can no longer claim to be advocates for the working class. The hard-working Minnesotans that built their lives and supported their families here on the range have been abandoned by radical Democrats, We didn't choose to leave the Democratic Party. The party left us. Um, these are lifelong politicians, some of these guys, that have been Democrats. Their daddies were Democrats. Their granddaddies were Democrats. And all of a sudden, they're supporting a Republican presidential nominee, and one as controversial as Donald Trump. Do you know why? Two reasons. Two reasons. The first reason is they're politicians, and they want to survive. And they've put their finger up, and they've tested the wind, and they know that the people in their cities are pro-Trump. And the only way they're going to survive the next election cycle themselves is to throw in with Trump. So there's a survival instinct there. There's another thing going on here. Trump is your daddy's Democrat. I know you don't think so, but that's because the left has moved so far radically left that, 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 that being a moderate Democrat now looks like a Republican. Now, there are certain things that Trump has done and certain positions Trump has taken that are classically Republican, but the, the one place I would say that's the truest is with judicial nominations. And that's what's kept the core of the right in his pocket. But if you look at most of the things that Trump wants to do, they're very centrist Democrat positions, protectionist policies. It's a centrist populist Democrat position. Not having trade position, uh, trade organizations like the TPP, getting out of that deal. That's a very Democrat position, being anti-war. Now, the Democrats were never big on actually doing it, but if you, if you in general had talked to people in 1985 and said, are you a Democrat or a Republican? And they said, I'm a Democrat. And you said, hey, would you call yourself pro-war or anti-war? They would say anti-war. And Republicans generally were more pro, I'm pro-national defense. They never said pro-war. But if you ask them, what is your opinion of someone who's anti-war, they would have a pretty negative opinion of it. The Republican Party has moved anti-war, but Trump took them there. And Trump's been pretty good on keeping us out of new wars. And he seems to be doing what he can to get us the hell out of these foreign theaters. That's a, that is a working-class Democrat position. And you can keep going through Trump's positions and what he says he wants and the things he's actually doing and they're all very working class democrat positions that republicans tend to also like he's set up perfectly 
to make right center. Now, whether that's by design or whether it just worked out that way, the people that are actually pulling the strings, they know that. And they know that if they can let him keep doing what he's doing, the middle becomes the new right. And when the blowback comes, when the pendulum swings, it goes all the way to the left. And that happens in 2024. Can that be avoided? We'll get to that down the road. Just remember, I predicted this in 2011. I predicted Trump, the model of the Trump candidate, Republican and reelected, and getting things done no Republican could ever get done and no Democrat could ever get done. There would be remarkably pro-Democrat, but Republicans would cheer for it. I said this in 2011, and it's happening now. And I'm telling you, I see this going the other way, and I see when you move what is right to what was center, and it now becomes to the right, what becomes left goes further to the left. And yes, I think they're playing this. And I think when you have work, working class Democrat politicians, and these won't be the last of them, coming out and saying, I am throwing in with Trump, you see the momentum has shifted and the plan is being executed. Now, I know it'll happen. He'll win and people say, well, we won. You're crazy. They didn't throw it. They tried really hard. I don't know. You look at Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as your candidates. You look at letting these cities burn. And you look at the, like, the, this is a self-created Kobayashi Maru for you Star, Star Trek fans, right? This is a Kobe, Kobayashi Maru for you non-Trek people is where there's an unwinnable situation. And cadets at Starfleet would be put into a simulation where they were, they were in command of a starship and there was no way to win. And they had to learn what it was to be in that situation. The Democrats have put themselves into a Kobayashi Maru. So they've let these cities burn since frickin' April. And now they condemn the violence. So Trump was right all along. Or you have to stay in your position. Both of those are losing propositions. They can come out and condemn it all they want now. The club is out going, that's not protesting. Where have you been for four months? Don't you think these people, don't think any of these people... When they say something, just go out and say it. They're told what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. Same way the news is. That's why you turn on five different news channels, and they all say the same exact shit using the same phrase. Because it's all written, it's all scripted, it's all provided to them how you are supposed to say it, when you're supposed to say it, and why the, the why you give with it when you say it. It's all programmed. And you're going to start seeing them all come out now and saying, we need to restore order. This is not, this is not peaceful. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, fine. So what you're saying is Trump was right all along. Yeah, they're throwing it. I don't have a, it's, it's not the only explanation. It's the only good one I have. Let's take another one. So next up, I just want to talk a little bit about COVID and specifically Texas. So on July the 19th, and I, I had about a week of posts leading up to this, but I'm going to have a link where you can look in the notes here today. Um, of the post I made on July the 19th saying this is the peak. This is the peak in Texas, and you have an eight-week cycle now of this thing going into oblivion. I was off by two days. The peak was actually two days before that. <laughs> I meant, like, now. Now is the peak. And if you go look at it, You'll see that where the case count was that week, it went down from there and it's never 
come back above that point. It's actually been down on a weekly basis every week since the 19th of July when I said this is the top. And that's in writing. It's on Facebook, even though I don't use Facebook anymore. There's no one can say nothing to whether I said it or not. There's no way for me to wiggle out of it if it turns and goes the other way because it's all recorded for all to see. And there's a link where you can go look at it. What that means, though, is based on my eight-week timeline that COVID should be a dark spot in the rearview mirror in the state of Texas uh, on about, I think it's September 13th or 14th. That's when it's exactly eight weeks from that point. And if you look at it right now, and I'll, I'll put a link, too, where you can go look at the state of Texas, their official numbers. Don't trust World Meter no more because World Meter, World Meter has gone stupid. Texas will say we have X number of new fatalities, and they're now prorating that across multiple days as the death certificates come in and get certified. And World Meter is reporting them each day as though they're new daily death counts. So just screw that. Go look at the curves. When I give you the links to the state of Texas where you can go look at their, their maps and everything, you'll have to tab through because I can't link down to a tab within them. But if you look at the, uh, the, the case rate, right, and, and you look at it, you'll see the curve is just, it's just straight down. But what I want you to do is there's two links that I'll provide. The second one is the, is the one with the hospital data. And it's about the middle tab, or you can click over, depending on what version of it you're on, whether you're on mobile or a, a PC or whatever. Um, but you can see how many people are in the hospital, and there's a graph for this. It's the tw I think it's the 21st or the 22nd was when hospitalizations peaked. And remember, I said, I said we're at the peak on the 19th. And that day, there's one day where it drops way down. It's like some weird thing. It went down by like 2,000 and it went right back up. Somebody screwed up reporting that day. That did not, if you didn't have 2,000 people come out and 2,000 people come back in over the next two days. That did not happen. So you take that out and you just look at the average going down. The hospital, the number of people in the hospital since about the 22nd or 23rd of July has gone down every single day since that day. My point here. I'm not that smart. I didn't come up with some weird algorithm to figure all this out. Long ago, I looked at the data. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure, just like everybody else, I gave the government and I gave our officials and everybody the benefit of the doubt of doing the best they could. But as the data began to come in from New York, from Sweden, from Italy, from France, from Germany, and go look at the post. I post graph after graph after graph. Everybody looks the same. Every place, every time. The only place that looks a little different is the UK because they locked down so hard, they flattened the curve, and they just spread it out a little longer. But in the end, this thing cycles through, and when it cycles through, it's done. And all this fear that it's going to come back and kill millions of us in the fall is utter, total bullshit. And the only thing they're trying to do right now is to make it last long enough to make a gazillion dollars on vaccines. That's what the, this has become a play for vaccines. And it's why they've shit on every valid therapy, but rushed through sort of kind of therapies. Plasma therapy sort of kind of works. Rendesivir sort of kind of works. Hydroxychloroquine, right patient, right time, absolutely works. If you have a valid treatment, you cannot sell or force a vaccine. But if you have no valid treatment to a life-threatening illness, you can come up with ways to mandate vaccines, 
And you can definitely convince the majority of people to willingly get in line and get their three shots a year for the rest of their life. It'll be two to three shots, depending on your profile, for the rest of your life. When there ain't nobody seen a case of COVID in 20 years, we'll still be getting vaccines. It's a money grab. It is the biggest money grab in the world. And there ain't no reason for it. And I'm telling you right now, for all the media wringing of hands, all the people losing their minds, all the Karens out there whining and bitching like little bitches, save about life, wear a mask, whatever. Sweden is a death trap, whatever. If you go look at the actual numbers out of Sweden, if you go look at the actual numbers, it did exactly what it did everywhere else. Nobody's made a difference. And even where some cases have come up over like the last month, a little bit of cases here and there, the death rate's almost zero. Because the people that were going to get it and die from it got it and died from it. And most of us have significant innate immunity because it's a cold. COVID is a cold. You can be triggered if you want to. COVID is a cold. The latest data says the reason people have innate immunity, T killer T-cell immunity, the latest data is, depending on populations around the world, 35 to 50% have innate T-cell killer cell immunity to COVID because in the past they've had the common cold. Now, somebody wanted to be all nitpicking and go, the two kinds of colds. There's the coronavirus cold and there's a rhinovirus cold. Okay, so the ones that had the common cold from a coronavirus variant tend to have really great innate immunity to COVID. That's why we have so many asymptomatic cases. People, you test them, they have COVID. Don't get sick. Never get sick. Barely even get a stuffy nose. They get nothing. Because we have about half of people walking around Somewhere between 35 to 50%. Yes, that's valid. That's not for me. That's from the World Health Organization. No! The people you listen to for all the other bullshit. 35 to 50% have an innate immunity. Remember they said no one's immune, immune to this? No one's immune to this. And I said bullshit. Remember when I said back in March, this is not new, this is not new, this is not new. And I got so much shit from so many of you people. And it turns out, this is not new. It's new in that it's a mutation. It's a variant. But in the end, it is a really bad cold for some people. And just today, just today, or actually just yesterday, I think, the CDC admits, do you know what the total number of people who died of COVID in the United States is? They did not have at least one serious otherwise you know you know otherwise life threatening condition that they were completely healthy they got covid and they died how many Because we keep it 170 180 190,000 Americans died of this disease It's all Donald Trump's fault you make me puke and get sick and die from your your stupidity okay 9210 It's not Jack Spirico's number. That's not my number. That's the CDC's number. 9,210 Americans that were otherwise healthy died of COVID. We shut down the whole damn world because 9,200 people died. And I'm going to tell you something about those 9,200 people that are otherwise healthy. You don't know that. I've said this 
And this is, again, it will, in the postmortem, it will be something I'm proven right about. They'll say something like, well, this guy was an Iron Man and COVID almost killed him, whatever. And I'm like, stop making the exceptions as though they are the rule. So this guy was an Iron Man, Roar, right? You know, and oh, COVID almost killed him. He ended up in the hospital. He ended up, you know, ventilated or whatever. And, but like 5,000 other people that were around him also got COVID and didn't even know they had it. Then you, then you try to scare people. Well, if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. Bullshit, right? It can happen to anybody, but you can get hit by a garbage truck tomorrow and die. That doesn't mean you won't leave your house. Right? It doesn't mean when you see a garbage truck, you'll run 27 feet away from the street. Right? It's social distance from the road whenever a garbage truck's coming because you get hit by one. It doesn't mean that. What we should be asking, if we had any actual legitimate scientific desire to understand this, is why him? Why is he the exception? When you have an exception to the rule in science, if you actually want an answer, you say, oh, here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. I'll have a link to this story so you can read it if you don't believe me. But you would, you would say, there's an opportunity here to learn something. I'm going to tell you right now, odds are that Iron Man, just because he was an Iron Man, doesn't mean his vitamin D levels weren't through the floor. Doesn't mean he didn't have some other nutritional deficiency. We should be doing full blood panels on everybody that's other, like all these 9,000 9, people, I'd love to see blood data on them. I really would. I'd like to know what particular things were they deficient in. And, and a lot of people say, well, you know, yeah, regular diet and uh, exercise, and these guys were athletes or what? No, bullshit. I'm telling you, I work with a chiropractor. Help me turn my body into what you see in front of you now. This is the big fat ass that I was for years. And it was done a lot with nutritional supplemental therapy. And when I had my blood work done and I looked at my nutrient levels, I was like, holy crap. And I ate pretty good. I ate too much, but I ate pretty good. Most people are deficient in nutrient. But if we found the key nutrients, and I'll tell you what they probably are, vitamin D, vitamin B, those are your two that people are probably most deficient in. Zinc deficiencies, selenium deficiencies, right? I mean, and this is, I've, been, I've been saying this for years, but it's, it's all doing exactly what I said it would do. It's all doing exactly what I said it would do. I, I, the reason I got, and I did get it wrong. I'll, I'll apologize again. I am sorry that back in March I got wrong how stupid our government would be. I got nothing wrong about the illness, which is why I didn't think our government would do this, which is why I now believe it is a coordinated assault on the free world. All of this is coordinated. The riots, the, the way the media is covering the Trump administration, the, the response to this illness, all of this is coordinated. You, you can't even you can't even not see it now unless you don't want to. But all I'm going to tell you is stop worrying about the COVID. Stop worrying about the Rona. We we have overreacted to this. You don't need to be afraid. And I really think we're reaching a point. And and I don't know about exactly how, but I'm thinking about trying to come up with some sort of a a movement. Like just go back to work, open up day, open up America Day or something, and no individuals shrieking, I'm going to do it, and setting up press conferences and getting themselves arrested. Just a day that, like, I don't know if it's, like, no, September 15th, good as any other day. On this day, either the government has figured this shit out and it's going to stop these shutdowns, or just everybody just opens up and goes back to work. And the reason I think that makes sense is if one or two people do it, or, like, one place does it and a bunch of people go there, yeah, they'll come there and break that up, they'll, they'll arrest, they'll fine, whatever. 
But when it comes to these riots, one thing that we've, we've learned is they can't stop rioters from burning down their own police stations. Well, if 30 or 40 million of us, not to be all 300 million, but 30 or 40 million Americans just pick a day and we say, you know what, we're just going to go back to living. Restaurants are going to open and not block out every other table. You want to sit here, sit here. You know, gyms are going to open. Everybody just opens. They can't do shit. And it's probably getting time for us to do that. In fact, I would say it's probably long past time for us to do that. So next up today, um, I want to talk a little bit about homeschooling. And I put out an article, I guess a month ago, that said homeschooling was going to just explode, and it has, and that it would cause a dramatic exodus from the existing state school system, and it has, and that it would set up a position where the schools would start scre screeching and hollering that, you know, um, We're going to be bailed out. We're having problems in it. By, by winter, we'd probably see lots of teachers getting laid off. And that looks like it's coming. And I keep getting email after email after email from people asking me about what we're doing for my grandson and the homeschool curriculum that we're using. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it, but I also wanted to ask a question of teachers. And teachers get really angry when you... You know, teachers know that the education system sucks, but they're like... When you play football, there's kind of the guy that barely made the team that, you know, if he's a Rudy or something, then you, you love him. But there's the guy that, like, he's just there. He barely made it. He's the, he's the, the, the beta, and he gets picked on by the team, right? And that's fine. And he kind of accepts his place, and it's razzing between guys and all. But let someone not on the team, let someone not on the team pick on that. Hey, hey, dickhead, I didn't see you at practice on Saturday. You leave him alone. You got nothing to say. So it's okay for us to pick on our own type thing. That's how teachers are. You want to get someone that will just trash the education system as a teacher. But when you do it, it's not okay, and they're all heroes that don't wear capes. But I got a question for these teachers. And here's where it stems from. The place I'm sending my grandson is called Excellus Academy. And I'll put a link in the, the notes here so you can check it out. Um, and if you do it, straight, you just go do it, and you don't take part in the uh, mentorship program, then it's $250 a month. It's pretty expensive. If you do the mentorship program and get the scholarship with it, it's $80 a month. Most people can afford $80 a month for their kid for a really great private school online, because that's what it is. It is a private school with teacher support online that's outside of the state system with full transcripts, accreditation, all that stuff. So We're doing that. Again, the mentorship program, when you check out the website, you'll see a thing that says scholarships. You'll see the Roger Billings mentorship program. I wanted everybody to understand this because I've had people already emailing me about it saying it looks really expensive. What do you mean 80 bucks a month? And I think what it is, they read it and they, they think it can't, it can't be that simple. There's a weekly video that Roger Billings runs with a bunch of other teachers and instructors. It, it's designed to prime a place called the National Academy of Science, which is a college that is an amazing place. And if you get into National Academy of Sciences, you, as far as I can tell, you go for free. It's 100% provided for by scholarships. And they want some of the very best minds applying for that scholarship because that's how they get all of the people that support and donate to that scholarship to do so. It's having these incredible people come out of the National Academy. So I think what they're doing, because Billings is behind the National Academy and he's behind Excellus both. Now, Roger Billings invented the hydrogen car. He invented gigabit Ethernet and one other like earth-shattering thing I can't remember right now off the top of my head. So he runs these things and you... 
all you have to do is commit to and then follow through because they know if you're logged in or not. You have your child log in under their account and watch one video a week with Roger and his cadre teaching high-level scientific principles, even to very young children. It makes them kind of stretch, and they're pretty cool videos. One hour a week, watch the video. Tuition goes from $250 to $80. Bucks. So I, 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 my experience so far, I cannot recommend this enough. The only thing that Braylon struggled with at all has been some of the writing assignments, So, because that's not just answering a question, right? That's actually having to construct. But he's getting great feedback from his teachers, and the automated system does a lot of feedback as well. It'll be like, this is not at your, this is not at your level. You need to raise this up. You need to make this more interesting. Here's some problems. Fix this. Resubmit it, that type of thing. But even with that and having to help him through that, This is my question for teachers. We've had to help him. I see my wife helping him more than me because I, I work from home and she, you know, she's kind of retired now. And I just think back to when my son was in school at about the same grade level. He's getting all his work done in one and a half to two and a half hours a day. Some days he's doing two days worth of work in one day so that he has an extra day off. He's maintaining a 4.0 GPA. It's all well and good. He's doing exceptional work. Occasionally he needs help. Now, I've already asked a question months ago. If he can do all that work in two hours to two and a half hours, to an hour and a half some days, what the hell were you doing with him for the other six, seven hours a day in school? That's, that's a question no, none of y'all have had an answer for, by the way. Not one of you have had a good answer for that. Here's my next question. Why are we doing less work when homeschooling than we did as parents who were using a state school? I remember my son coming home with two or three hours of homework and it being more work for us to help him with his homework than it is to help my grandson with a few things he needs while he's getting everything done in two hours. Why do I have to work less as a homeschool parent Than I had to work when you supposedly were doing the job. Why? And I don't, a lot of times I ask questions and then I say, well, here's the answer. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I'd like it from y'all. Teachers, tell me. Why? Why are you sending my son, well, my grandson, but back then my son, home to me with two hours of work? I have to bust my ass to help him get through. And my, son, my grandson now can do all the work with a little bit of help in two hours, all the work instead of just the homework. What the hell are you doing with kids in these schools? And this is another reason to get your kids out of school. I'm going to add to this, getting your kids out of school. And if they're, if they're not in the school yet, they're too young, never put them in the school. I've been talking about moving away from cities. One of the things that holds people captive is schooling. Right, The kids are in school. The kids are in school. You will liberate yourself. with the, the fewer institutions you tie yourself to, the more freedom you have. When you put your kid in the state school, you're tying yourself to another government institution. Keep your kids out of these schools. They do not have your kid's best interest in heart. It has nothing to do with the fact whether or not teachers are good people. Most teachers are incredible people. They believe in what they do. They work really hard. But I'm going to say something. That I know you teachers don't like this, but it's the truth. All of you who are actually honest, 
when, when pressed, will admit the system's broken and you can't fix it. So we're not going to keep our kids in your broken system anymore. That's my thoughts on that. Let's take another one. Last one I got for you today is um, can we avoid a second Great Depression? Is there any way out of this? Is it inevitable at this point? And as I said during the lead-up to today's show, I don't really know. I want to believe there's a way out of it. I really do. But I want to believe a lot of things that, that I tend not to believe. I, I, I'd like to believe that a fat guy in a red suit climbs down a chimney every December 24th and leaves presents for kids. I want to believe that. I want to believe that eight tiny reindeer and one red-nosed reindeer carry that fat ass around the whole country and the whole world and, and deliver presents everywhere. I, I want to believe that when you're a little kid and you, your, your, your permanent teeth push your temporary teeth out and you put it under your pillow, that a, a, a guy with wings comes through your window and leaves you a, a quarter under your or a dollar or whatever under your pillow. I, I want to believe all that. I don't. And I want to believe that we can get out of this without immense financial hardship, but I don't. I'm not saying it's not possible, though. I'm not 100% on this. I'm placing odds on a major recession or depression somewhere in 2021 hitting full scale at about 80%. And that might sound a little bit optimistic, but if, if you were going to have a surgery, and I told you there's an 80% chance you won't survive the surgery, you wouldn't feel real good about that surgery. If I told you you had a 20% chance of dying, you wouldn't feel good about it. 80% chance of an extreme recession, if not full-on depression, and probably not just in the United States, but globally. The only way... Out, or the only reason I can see that we might get out of it, almost everybody else did it too. Almost everybody else did it too. So you have a global market, and it's a market of competition. And there are some opportunities to handle the flux better than we probably will, I guess. The cities, see, there's things I don't see a way out of. A real estate crash, I don't see a way out of. All these markets right now that are doing really well as people exit the cities, they're having their property values artificially inflated. What comes after you artificially inflate property values? Right? I mean, they, it, it, if nothing else, they go back to where they were before you artificially inflated them. If you were holding property that already had value in it before they artificially went up, you're probably okay, but it's going to hurt. Then you have all these people that are trapped in properties. And then you have a rush to... I mean, see, that, the, the, I, don't, I don't see a way out of the real estate. Um, I don't see a, a reversing of the migration patterns out of the cities. And I see the cities becoming... Complete shitholes. That's why I keep telling people to get out. What could happen? Your cities that are well run become the new big cities. We bring a tremendous amount of business that has been done in China back to the United States. And I think they're actually, I, 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 you know, I, I call Trump the orange man. I call him an ass clown, etc. There are things that he's done that I do agree with. 
And I think that there's actually a bigger move to bring manufacturing back to the United States, especially key things like our medicine and our drugs that China is threatening to cut off, a bigger move than you think. And I think that they're that you do have to give Trump credit as a pretty good gamesman. And I think there might be a lot of things that are good for the country that you won't hear about until mid-October. We are a country of what have you done for me lately. That's why like when Bush lost re-election, Bush the first, his approval ratings were through the roof at the end of Desert Storm. And it wasn't very long later where he got blown out in a re-election by Bill Clinton. And, and the no new taxes thing only had so much to do with that. It's what have, we, what have you done for me this week, this month? The, the, the memory of Americans for things that anger them is very long. But the memory of Americans for things that they appreciate is very, very short. So I think there might be more good news than we know that's being held off on. I mean, you got to admit that when you came out with a, it is a tiny country, but a peace treaty between UAE and Israel, that's a, that's a big, going to, going from you do not have a right to exist to you do have a right to exist between two nations is a big deal. I think you might see at least one more nation added to that list before the election. And I think you might hear some announcements about some things with bringing manufacturing back to the United States. The other thing is, there's two things we have. The most powerful military in the world, and that makes other countries bet on you, to be blunt. On top of that, there is no nation with more resources than we have. And I'm, I'm talking natural resources, human resources. When it comes to resources in relation to their ability to support the population of the country. Because China and India have tremendous resources, but they have to support you know 1.7 billion or something like that people each. 1.7 and 1.9 respectively, I think is how it goes. Um, where the United States has massive resources and 300 million people, many of whom were highly productive. We have this incredible flux that we're going to have to go through, though, like... There's so many people in the United States that are making money by using Chinese manufacturing. And a lot of those people, their business models don't work using U.S. manufacturing. That's why they're using Chinese manufacturing. I, I mean, can it happen? Maybe. Can it be forestalled? Maybe. Should you bet on it? No. What you should plan for right now is for this country to be at minimum over the next year headed into a deep recession. And you should structure your life to be resilient in the face of that. That doesn't mean make scared, stupid decisions. But it means you plan for that. You need to position your life to be as resilient and non-brittle as you can right now, which is what you should be doing anyway, but now you should really take it seriously. And then if I'm wrong, if the 20% chance that we get out of it happens, then not only will you thrive, you will mega-thrive. If you do what I'm suggesting, this depression, recession, whichever one it's going to be, is an opportunity. Because whenever things start to fall apart, whenever things get really bad, whenever the flux comes, whenever the pain comes, there's people saying, do something about it. I need help. And when there's problems, there's opportunities. In proper culture, we said the problem is the solution. But in the world of business and entrepreneurship and commerce and trade, The problem is the opportunity. And there's two ways that people capitalize on those opportunities. One is by victimizing people, and that's okay for short-term gain. 
But the other way is to be an actual, genuine solution to the problem. The only way you can do that, that second one, which is the honorable one, and the one with the greatest long-term return, is to set your life up so that you are not the one in need. And then you can be the one that does the solution delivery. And I think there's a tremendous opportunity. I am not as down on this as you guys think. I just want you to be prepared for it. I want you to be ready for it. I want you to be able to deal with it because you're probably going to have to. Can we get out of it? Is there any possibility that I'm wrong about this? Yes. Yes. When I said on the 19th of July that COVID was at its peak and would go into decline, I said my, my, my probability I was issuing was 90%. And that wasn't 90% that it happened. My confidence in my own prediction was 90%. A week later, I moved it to 95. And a week after that, I said, I'm 100% right. I'm, I have no doubts anymore at all. There's no, no, I'm not wrong because now the pattern was set. You could see it just beginning to trail off. In this one, I'm not as confident. 80%. That's, that's two out of 10 being wrong. Two out of 10 being wrong. I'm being happy about it. But man, play the odds. Be ready. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, make your life non-brittle. With that, let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. Today, again, I'm not going to go deep into this one because I talked about it so much in the intro segment. My item of the day for you today is uh, The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Um, or if you're Chinese, Sun Tzu is actually how the proper way, but everybody in the United States says Sun Tzu. And the, the quote I wanted to talk to you about in there, again, was victorious warriors win first, then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. And you might wonder, well, how do you do that? Well, buy the book, read the book, and then you'll know. Um, but the reality is that when you effectively attack the enemy and his strategy, and you already know where and when and how you're going to execute your attack, And you already know what your enemy is going to do. You've already won. You just haven't done it yet. But you've already won. You've already set the trap. And the only thing that prevents you from winning is for the enemy to not take the bait. The enemy to not go into the trap. But if you follow the other side of the rule, which is you do not fight the battle unless victory is assured, the enemy doesn't take the bait, you don't then go engage the enemy. You set up the next trap, and you have to be patient, and you keep waiting. That's what these people are doing. They're waiting for you to take the bait, and some of you are really close to it. So I really recommend you read this book. In the write-up for this today, and again, you can always help us out by doing your online shopping at TSPAS. That's where you'll find uh, our latest reviews, including this one. Um, but it's actually a twofer, because I also link to Illuminatus Trilogy. And I've talked about that a lot uh, over the years, but a lot lately. The problem that you have when you don't correctly identify the enemy. The people paying the bills and sending these rioters into these cities are the enemy. You're looking at their soldiers, not the enemy. You want to bomb the enemy's headquarters, right? Taking out the enemy's troops when the tr enemy has millions of troops and you take out a couple doesn't do you any good. You have to cut the head off the snake. You have to cut off the head of the snake. And so what you have to understand is, well, what is the enemy's strategy? And in this case, let me explain to you what the strategy of the enemy is. Create conflict. Create conflict in the major cities. That's the strategy. So when you go have this conflict, you're doing what they want you to do. 
you, not only you're falling into the trap, you're playing your part. You're literally letting the enemy pick you up and move you like a pawn, and then the two pawns fight. But since both people playing the game of chess with each other, they're not trying to defeat each other. They're only trying to figure out what they want the board to look like at the end of the game. They already know what they want the board to look like. They don't care which pawn wins. They're both collateral. They don't care which rook dies. They don't care which bishop dies. It's not important. They just, want to, they just want the board to look a certain way at the end. You're being moved by a hand. And when a hand's moving you, you're not in control. I don't care how much of a war fighter you were back in the day in Afghanistan. I don't give a shit about any of that. Right? I don't care how much training you have. I don't care how much guns you have. I don't care how many times you read the Bible. I don't care about any of that. When someone else is moving you, you are not your own man anymore. You're now in their world. You're now a player in their game. And they control you the same. You are an NPC. Put it in modern terms. That's what Illuminatus is really all about. It doesn't seem like it until you start to take it in in totality as you work your way through it. There's all these organizations, and many of these organizations see themselves as directly in opposition to each other. But the people running the show, they control both of them. They bankroll both of them. Even the ones you think that are above it. The ones that seem like, man, I'd like to be this guy. Hagbird Selene. Still being used. Still being used. So the only way to win a game, the only way you can win a game, where everybody in the game is being controlled by somebody else, stay out of the game. Don't play. Didn't we learn that in another movie? Something about war games? The only way to win is not to play? Well, another way to look at it is, the only way you can avoid getting shit on you in a shit-throwing contest is don't get, in the, don't get in the contest. This is not the time or the place or the way to engage. It doesn't mean there won't be a time or a place or a way. But this isn't it. When you do what the enemy wants you to do, you've taken the bait, and now you're in the trap. And there is no doubt that the people that are paying people to get on a bus, go into a city, smash windows, hurt people, and set things on fire, want you to engage in conflict with them. So when you do that, are you making a choice of your own free will? Or is the enemy using the concept of attacking your strategy so that they have already won and then went to war, and you are a defeated warrior who goes first to war and then seeks to win? When you've already lost. That's not defeatist. That's not defeatist. I didn't say there isn't a way to win. I'm telling you. This isn't it. Please read this book. I have so much respect for my old first sergeant in Honduras that made me read this book and others and took the time to discuss it with me. And I, I think about his words. Let me tell you exactly what he said because I wrote it down today. Our nation is not as strong as many people think. Our weakness is not our military, it's ourselves. We are spoiled adult children. Someday it's likely this is all going to bite us in the ass, and we'll all turn on each other. This was in 1992. He then pointed to the ravel and poverty all around us in Honduras. And he said, people think this can't happen in our country, but there are places like this in our country right now. No one looks at them. They pretend they don't exist. It's like a cancer we refuse to treat. And when you don't treat a cancer, it metastasizes. It spreads and eventually takes over the entire body. <clears throat> Someday our nation might break down, 
like this one did. This place wasn't always like this. This nation should be a tourist mecca. It should be wealthy, but just look at it. If this ever starts to happen in America, it's going to be bloody. It's going to be awful. And you're going to have to choose a side. But if this book taught you anything, it should be that when and where you take a stand is more important than anything else. Get this book and read it if you haven't. Start thinking this way if you're not. And get out of the way of the initial conflict because it is not the when or the where that makes sense for what you want. It is the when and the where that makes sense for the enemy. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. And I wanted to stay on this theme with that. Song of the day today, I've played for you before. It's called Lives in the Balance by Jackson Brown. And this came out in the, uh, I believe, early 80s or late 70s. It's when the United States was pulling a lot of bullshit in Central America, which is Honduras. That's where I was just a few years after this song came out. Uh, about 10 years after this song came out, actually. And, and looking at the aftermath of that, that's why I'm so much on you do not want this here and you don't want to be part of it if it's going to be here. Because I know what it looks like in its aftermath. And I know how it runs people over. But in this song, what Jackson Brown talks about is how people will get pushed to the edge. They get pushed to the edge. Where it doesn't seem like they really have any other alternative left. In fact, instead of giving you a line, let me let me read the lyrics to this song, because even though you're about to hear it, I think there's something about when you when you hear lyrics spoken, it, it drives the point home a little bit better. I've been waiting for something to happen for a week or a month or a year. With the blood in the ink of the headlines and the sound of the crowd in my ear, you might ask what it takes to remember when you know that you've seen it before. When a government lies to its people and a country is drifting to war. And there's a shadow on the faces of the men who send the guns to the wars that are fought in places where their business interests run. On the radio talk shows and on TV, you hear one thing again and again, how the USA stands for freedom and we come to the aid of our friend. But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own? Or the people who finally can't take anymore, and they pick up a gun, or a brick, or a stone. Let me read that last two lines to you again, and see how it makes you feel with what you've seen on your TV in the past few months. Or the people who finally can't take anymore, and they pick up a gun, or a brick, or a stone. This is how you sell a war. This is how you sell a war. You push people till they can't take any more, and then those people pick up a gun or a brick or a stone, and you sell a war to people with that. I've told you, the dogs of war have done this all around the world for the last century. They're doing it in your own backyard. Don't play their game. Think smart. Think smart, people, please. And understand that while this song was about what we were doing elsewhere, our chickens are coming home to roost. And this song, unfortunately, sounds a lot like our backyard right now. It's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. I've been waiting for something to happen For a week or a month or a year With the blood in the ink of the headlines And the sound of the crowd in my ear 
You might ask what it takes to remember When you know that you've seen it before Where a government lies to a people And a country is drifting to war And there's a shadow on the faces Of the men who sent the guns To the wars that are fought in places Where their business interests run On the radio talk shows and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments kill them Or the people who finally can't take anymore And they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lies in the balance Who our enemies are But they're never the ones To fight or to die And there 